the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, tonight we're talking about the virus that is now circulating, beginning in China and working its way around the globe right now. And it's referred to as the corona, corona virus. And to talk to us tonight, we have the North Walton Cert's own medical director, Dr. Dan Magus. Uh, Dan Magus, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome, and um, I'm, uh, thanks for having me on. It uh, feels it's good to be on the air again with you. Yeah, it's good to have you back and, and talking about the coronavirus. Um, and uh, first, uh, if we can talk about the history of the coronavirus, uh, how long it, the of a type of viruses, isn't it? It's not just one single brand new thing, is it's it? A, yes, it's a genetic genus species. Um, uh, it's a, a DNA virus, and uh, you have to you have to culture it, and you have to subtype it uh, genetically to figure out what it is and how distinct it is. We've known about the coronavirus for years, have we not? Well, the SARS virus back in 2003 was a coronavirus. And it had a specific genetic uh, makeup and a certain behavior and certain infectious rate and that sort of thing. And there were about 8,000 cases of it in China back in 2003 and 800 deaths, or nearly 800 deaths. So it had about a 10% mortality rate. was very serious. Uh, it had a lot of notoriety because the Chinese... Uh, uh, government was very reluctant to admit the um, the infectious and the presence of it and actually hid the information, hid sick patients from the public for a while until they um, had to admit what was going on. And finally, they did extraordinary efforts to contain it and uh, stop the spread. And um, uh, the people that are around were around at the time uh, are also around at this time and um, very helpful in stopping the spread of this um, coronavirus today. You, you mentioned with SARS that happened that there was a high mortality rate. Is there any sign that there's a similar high mortality rate in this version of the coronavirus? At this point, it seems to be much lower, Nick. Thank goodness. Um, it, the, whole, the whole problem started back in uh, mid mid December. Uh, in um, in the in the city of Wuhan, um, in the in the in the province in the middle of China, um, at a uh, seafood uh, open market, they sell poultry, fish, seafood, and uh, meat there. But they also sell some um, live reptiles and live uh, stock for people in China who consider some of this thing kind of delicacies. Um, it's an open market, and um, they. They um, noticed at the end of December, around the 20th, 25th, that there were five cases of an unusual pneumonia that they couldn't type. And uh, by the end of the month, there were 27 people, very, very sick. All, almost all of them had a, um, uh, exposure to the market at Wuhan, and um, it started spreading amongst the medical personnel who were taking care of these people. 
at first they realized this was an unknown cause and um, they started to do genetic testing and realized it was coronavirus. And not only was it a coronavirus, it was definitely distinct from the SARS virus of 2003, genetically distinct. Um, mm-hmm. the, the SARS stands for uh, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And that's exactly what these people had back then. They were all getting pneumonia, and uh, not everybody's getting pneumonia, but uh, the ones that are very sick are getting pneumonia from it now today. There's another um, coronavirus back in 2013 that uh, showed up in Saudi Arabia, the MERS, if you remember, back in 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, The Middle East Respiratory Syndrome was another coronavirus. That death rate was even a little bit worse than SARS. Um, but not as bad today. It seems to be about 2%. We've got 14,000 people as of this morning on the news ill from this, and there were 305 concert, on a, uh, concerted deaths. Now, you got it, those, those figures may be a little bit skewed because some of the people are sick and then die later. Um, the, uh, some of the first death didn't occur until I was around January 10th. So it's about two weeks after they, uh, they, they, they announced the illness. But by the end of the month in December, uh, there were 27 cases of people very, very ill. And that's when um, the authorities uh, let the World Health Organization in Beijing uh, know about it. And the word was spread um, that... Um, uh, there, there was something going on there. By the 1st of January, the health authorities in China shut down the market, and they found out that it was starting to still spread, uh, even though they shut down that market, and then they've got all kinds of uh, lockdowns all over the um, Hubei province where where, um, um, where that where that city um, uh, first ex- uh, is located. Now, uh, there, it's a large city, 11 million people in Wuhan, and um, uh, so there's a tremendous amount of uh, sacrifice and work that the uh, Chinese are going through to kind of help uh, stop this from spreading. Unfortunately, it's already spread to about 24 countries, and the World Health Organization, because of that, has declared this an international emergency. Now, that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the main re- that They don't do that because it's out of control. They don't do that so that they can mobilize certain resources to help those countries that are not able to contain this um, on their own. Um, the people in China know how to contain this because they had the SARS virus um, there back in 2002. It spread to Japan. They have no problem. The, uh, Western Europe and the United States all know how to contain this and how to isolate people very well. But there's 24 countries, many of them Southeast Asia, including India and the Philippines, that may not have as strong a health system as we do and cannot necessarily contain it as easily. So the World Health Organization mobilized all kinds of resources. They can send it all over the world to help stop the spread. Since it's a novel virus, it's a new virus distinct from the other ones, um, very few people, if anybody, is immune to it. That's why it's spreading so rapidly and so quickly. Now, that said, I just want to impress any listeners that... um, uh, it, the risk to America is very, very low. The risk of influenza virus is far higher. So if anybody's worried about catching anything, it's when to get your vaccine before it's too late. Uh, if you have an illness, if you have the influenza, go on treatment, get, get treatment, get them, go on the medication, take the medications that we have. 
um, and uh, <clears throat> practice the hygiene. So sneeze into your hands, uh, cough into your, your elbow, all kinds of ways to uh, avoid that. Avoid sort of to yeah, sort of to maybe uh, clear up some of the the nomenclature here. Uh, is the coronavirus is that a form of influenza, and is influenza different? No, no, the influenza is a different, um, a totally different virus. However, if you look at the death rates from influenza, it's often from pneumonia, and it's about one or two percent. So it's behaving. This um, what we see right now is behaving just like a pretty bad influenza outbreak. So um, it's 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 in that category, but. Well, you know, let's face it, if we look at the numbers, there's 300 million people in the United States. If one or two percent of them die from uh, pneumonia, that's pretty That's pretty bad. That's why we go through so much trouble to avoid influenza in this country, as we could end up with 30 million, 30 million deaths if you had a widespread infection um, that was uncontrolled or no vaccinations. Um, again, the influenza uh, risk in the, Amer- in the United States is far worse than any um, thing so far. This coronavirus. And um, is and the Americans? We know how to. We know how to contain it. We know how to isolate it. And um, uh, so the authorities are working well. Plus, now here's there is one distinct difference. The um, the original SARS. Uh, outbreak back in 2002 in China uh, was not transmissible until four or five days after the system started. Uh, This one is a little bit different. The doubling rate is about seven days. The average so far that has been calculated, uh, the transmission rate is 2.2, meaning every person who gets it um, on, a, on the average is transmitting it to 2.2 individuals. So everybody who's sick can transmit it potentially two to three people. That's what's happened so far. In fact, there was one account that I read in the New York Times this morning. They had a very uh, in-depth uh, investigation over the last uh, month of what's going on in China. Uh, there was one um, sick uh, patient in um, the hospital in Wuhan who's infected 11 um, uh hospital workers so uh they're um they're they're on uh, very uh, serious precautions too and the lockdowns in um in china are very very important the um this virus may uh, we don't know for sure yet we don't know for sure yet but stories coming out of china the chinese thinks this possibly can be spread before symptoms start you may be able to transmit it before you know you're ill and there, there's histories coming out of Germany, histories coming out of Vietnam, suggest that they may be correct. The, H, the World Health Organization has been given permission to come into China to help um, control the outbreak. And this, this Tony Fossey from our CDC is asking for permission for our CDC people to go there, look at the raw data, find out for sure if this can be transmitted before symptoms start. Because if it can, it's a little bit of a different ballgame. You've got to watch people a lot more carefully. Well, we're, now, let me interrupt for just a moment because we're going to take a short break. Uh, we're talking okay. to uh, Dr. Dan Magus about the coronavirus and w- what's happening right now with it. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Dr. Magus to talk okay. about our coronavirus uh, issues. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, tonight we're talking to Dr. Dan Magus concerning the coronavirus and uh, what's the nature of the virus and how is it spreading and what can we do individually. Uh, Dr. Magus, thank you for joining us again. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be with you. Yes, likewise. Uh, as I was telling your listeners, this outbreak started again in Wuhan, um, China, which is a city of 11 million people in Hubei province. And um, uh, it, it seemed to um, uh, originate in an open seafood um, market, which had subsequently been closed off. And in fact, the entire city of Wuhan and many area communities around there have been on lockdown, meaning nobody goes in, nobody goes out, isolating people so this virus cannot be spread anymore. Um, on, uh, I believe it was Thursday when um, when a, a plane of 195 Americans were evacuated from that area. Um, when they were vetted in um, China before, before they left, they were all healthy. When they landed in Alaska, they were all vetted and they were healthy. And they were all brought to Southern California, where again, when they arrived, they were all healthy. The first, um, they've all voluntarily uh, agreed to be isolated and quarantined for 72 hours. Uh, federal government uh, is investigating carefully, have no symptoms, and uh, now that the 72 hours is, has uh, elapsed, they decided to keep them a total of uh, uh, two weeks, 14 days until mid-February. The incubation period on this virus is anywhere, is usually around five or six days, but it can be as little as three days or as long as 12.5. And if you're gonna be careful, uh, you got to do what the UK did and just quarantine, isolate people for 14 days to be on the safe side. Especially if the symptoms can't be spread. Trans, I mean, if the illness can't be transmitted before symptoms start, that's a different ballgame, and it makes it much more difficult to, to uh, isolate it and stop the spread. Um, the president has stopped any flights coming into the U.S. from uh, China and will not admit any people unless they are permanent residents of the U.S. or close family members, and that's probably a good idea. Um, the World Health Organization has teams all over the world now spreading to help uh, come to countries that need the help um, to keep the, keep the um, uh, virus from spreading. The, um, the way they control it is to, first of all, identify the people that are sick. Isolate them and quarantine them and treat them. There's really no treatment for it right now and no vaccine at this moment. Um, then you have to identify all the contacts. Um, and that's very important if um, these people um, aren't even sick yet. They can, um, all the contacts, even before they're ill, possibly could have it. And those people have to be watched and observed. You put, um, you, um, you, you test for the virus, and if once the, you document that they may have the same virus, that your or coronavirus, then you have to uh, you just uh, treat them supportively um, and treat the pneumonias the best you can. There's no treatment for it that we have. You just hope they get over it on their own if they're strong enough to do so. It's important to protect the medical providers because the medical community in uh, China is getting ill from the people. They have to wear a mask and this personal protective equipment, and which is very specialized, and um, they're using uh, um, 
every bit of um, precautions, both in the United States and in uh, China now, to prevent um, health care for people from getting worse. Well, a couple up to this point. First off, uh, with regard to this virus, is it very subject to uh, further mutations and becoming more deadly, say? Like right now, I think you mentioned uh, it's it's not of the same level that SARS was, uh, yes. but but can that mutate fairly quickly with what's out there now and as it's passing through the human population? Well, it can, but it's unlikely. I mean, um, if it's going to mutate, it would more likely mutate over the next six months, three months, six months, or a year. Um, not right away. Well, that's Viruses good to hear. Often do mutate. Often do mutate. Some do more than others. In the past, these last coronaviruses uh, haven't mutated in the short term. Have not. Well, that that's good to hear. The next thought is that if it does become more widespread in this country, uh, is uh, the fact that most people have had flu shots. Uh, will that mitigate uh, the experience they would have with the coronavirus if they've had that kind no. of protection? None no, at all. That'll provide no, our flu shots will not provide any protection for this coronavirus. Is there anything we have uh, over-the-counter or that we can use now to help control the, uh, the symptoms uh, that someone would have with coronavirus, uh, well, such as tam- like Tamiflu or something? Yeah, if you have, can you hear me, Dick? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, if you have a runny nose, you take a decongestant. If you have a cough, you take a cough syrup with uh, cough lozenges. But you just treat it symptomatically. You can't, uh, there's no antibiotic available right yet. In fact, it'll take uh, three months to develop a vaccine and start studies for three months. So after six months, at least six months, you get a, a, evidence if you have a vaccine that may work. It may, may take another three to six months to actually mass produce it and the, make sure it's safe to use. So um, uh, a vaccine for the near near term is out of the question. Um, and uh, unless this uh, continues to spread six months, a year from now, hopefully it'll be under control by then. And uh, based on what the... Uh, World Health Organization and uh, the, the, what the uh, and what the resources in China were back in 2002 and what they've mobilized now, they'll be able to contain it um, eventually. Uh, if you can, if the World Health Organization and our CDC can control the Ebola virus in uh, Western Africa several years ago, this certainly can be stopped because the, um, the networks and the resources in China are far superior to what Africa had back then. Now, if you could remind us, with the idea of uh, this particular virus, I don't know how robust the virus is when it's passing, how long will it stay viable uh, on surfaces, or do you have to have uh, basically sneezes on you or that kind of thing? Well, here's how it's spread. It's spread by uh, respiratory droplets. Uh, So if you cough and sneeze on somebody, that's bad news. Uh, The other thing it can do, it can live for minutes to an hour or so on um, inanimate objects, which we call fomites, fomites, such as utensils, uh, dishes, uh, doorknobs, things like that, any furniture you want. Um, If somebody coughs, sneezes on you and you scratch your your shoulder where you've got some droplets, you can infect yourself uh, if it's within a few minutes after... um, exposure. So it does die on uh, surfaces after anywhere from minutes to an hour 
but nobody's quantitated how long it's it's probably a short period of time. Well, a couple a couple of thoughts then, real real quick. We're running out of time already. Uh, one, wash your hands frequently. Don't touch your face. Yeah, here's what you're going to do. The same 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 if the same precautions that you do for avoiding flu and any kind of head colds. Wash your hands constantly. If you sneeze, sneeze into your hands. Cough into your elbow. Um, protect yourself that way. You can always wear a mask if you're if you're ill and you don't want to spread it to somebody else. Um, nobody's encouraging people to go out and buy masks because then you you tie up the supply and those people who absolutely need it uh, don't have it available. Especially uh, healthcare personnel in the hospitals, they need to stock up on this just in case there is something going to uh, there is a widespread uh, outbreak here. It's unlikely that that's going to happen because the authorities here know how to isolate and quarantine people. They have very good resources on tracking down contacts. So it's the same hygiene that you would use for avoiding head colds, chest colds, influenza. Same thing. Wash your hands as often as you can all day long, every day, after you touch um, surfaces like doorknobs and utensils and dishes that are outside your house. And the U.S. has 20 uh, screening centers, by the way. Uh, in all the major airports. So there's 20 screening centers that people come in from uh, uh, any of these countries that have illnesses that are endemic or already have cases. They can vet the people and screen them right there. And if necessary, um, uh, all those places can be on lockdown and the president can refuse to accept planes there, planes from those sites. Uh, It hasn't seemed to be necessary at this point We've only had a handful, eight cases. One one mm-hmm. showed up last night in, um, in Boston and then a college student. I don't know the details of where he caught it or how he caught it, but um, he, he got it. Be in quarantine. So oh, well, quick, people that are quick, coming uh, down with it. Quick last question. Quick last question is uh, with regard to hand sanitizer, something that we should all watch. And we're, we're almost out of yeah. time, so just say the answer is yes. Yeah, okay. It helps, it helps to some extent, yes. So that will help, uh, same as or similar to washing hands. Well, in any event, we'll yeah. be watching this uh, the situation with the coronavirus, and we're talking to Dr. Dan Magus. Dan, thank you again so much for uh, joining us tonight. And You're we'll, welcome. As this de- as it develops, we'll we'll call you back. Okay, take care. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye now. That was Dr. Dan Magus talking about the coronavirus. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Nick Phillips with you to another segment of The Advocate. In uh, the next couple of segments, we're going to be addressing issues that have to do with marriage, marital relationships, and uh, many times in abusive situations in a marriage, it's the wife who is the abused person. And uh, we're going to talk to someone who is a financial planner, female, and also a victim of that kind of relationship who's going to talk to us. Uh, about uh, what should be done and, and what you should be aware of if you are in that situation yourself. I'd like to welcome uh, tonight Rosemary Lombardi. Rosemary, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, you're, you're quite welcome. Where are you calling from tonight? Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, and you don't have a Tennessee accent. 
I'm not originally from Nashville. We get a lot of transplants here, but I've, I've been here for decades. I, uh, I'm a trial lawyer, and I did a trial down in Tennessee one time in uh, uh, Clinton County, or Clinton, Tennessee, I think. Anyway, uh, I, I did not have a Tennessee accent that was pointed out to me quickly. And then I, <laughs> I had to slow down and sort of pronounce my words a little more genteelly. So, But in any event... Uh, divorces and lawyers and uh, marriages and, and so forth. You and I have had a chance to talk before the interview and sort of as a little setup, uh, you know, we, we think about marriages and how many marriages end in divorce and uh, the fact that people go on with their lives and all the emotion involved is only one facet. Uh, people who get married, they're actually bonding as uh, as partners, and the marriage essentially is similar to a business. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background as both a financial planner and, and how this sort of ties into your experiences uh, with uh, abusive marriage. Well, I... Um I've been married. I had been married for a very, very long time. Um, I uh, actually have been in the financial services industry for 39 years, and have been blessed with a, a wonderful career. I have two children, and being raised Catholic, um, I had the Catholic sensibility that marriages are sacrosanct, and you know, I, I didn't want my children to be in a broken home. Um, I uh, had a very ab abusive uh, marriage that I chose to stay in for the wrong reasons. I thought I was doing the right thing for my for my children, and it really wasn't. And during the divorce, I started journaling, and I was reading a lot of books on divorce. And, and after a while, I realized that I could really offer other women who were also in abusive situations uh, some very helpful advice in not only how to uh, prepare to to leave an abuser, how to protect themselves and minimize the damage, but also how to begin the healing process, which is just as important if you um, if you want to avoid going into another abusive relationship because there is a pattern there. Um, and you want to begin to heal yourself and your children, there are some additional things that you can do. So a good part of the book is on how, learning how to take better care of yourself, reduce the stress of, uh, of an abusive uh, divorce, and um, uh, begin the healing process, which does include forgiveness. Of uh, yourself and your abuser as well. Uh -huh. well what, what I'd like to do would be to explore for a bit the term abuser and what is an abuser. And, and I ask that in the context that uh, in, in a marital relationship, first off, uh, I always talk about people who say they have a totally happy marriage, they never argue. That means one person is not talking back, that somebody is being suppressed. So we have, I think, there's sort right. of a spectrum of abuse. I mean, arguing might be at a lower level of abuse and actual physical violence maybe at the other end of that spectrum. How do we define abusive marriage that would justify terminating a marriage? Well, there, there are all different kinds of uh, abuse. and Withholding, uh, for example, is, is one where if you're dealing with a, a partner who does not express emotions, uh, financial abuse is, a, is another where your partner may limit your access to money uh, or uh, 
limit your access to friends and family members. You know, there's an isolating behavior sometimes that, that happens in abusive situations. Uh, sounds like a big, it, it, it sounds can, like a control situation where somebody is dominant yeah. in control on, on all these issues, all or some of these issues. Yeah, and sometimes drugs or, or alcohol can be involved and can be used as a crutch to justify abusive behavior because the, the person wasn't in uh, in control of themselves, which is one, one reason why abuse tends to spike around the holidays. Um, but, but that's not the only reason. I, you know, I, th- I think um, many abusers want to control their partner or, or they have anger that they don't know what to do with or, or how to deal with in a healthy way, and so they, t- they take it out on, on their partner. Um, so uh, the other thing is um, de- uh, demeaning and belittling uh, behavior, name-calling, uh, uh, mistreating your partner in front of your children to humiliate you. Gaslighting is, a, is another big thing that, that happens. Uh, of course, it happens in politics too. But it, it doesn't. Uh, and by the way, there's a lot of talk about gaslighting, which comes from an old movie, by the way. But could you give us a definition of gaslighting, just in case some people uh, don't know what it is, and uh, they may discover by what you're about to say that it's been happening to them? Yeah, uh, gaslighting is is uh, the name of an old Alfred Hitchcock movie. So you're 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 right on uh, on on target with that, and it. it it's your partner tells you things that happened didn't happen or he makes up the past to to try to and, and it's used to destabilize uh, you and and I, I actually have an article on gaslighting that talks about symptoms of uh, gaslighting that you may suffer from because it's um, uh, it, it's a very destabilizing destabilizing form of psychological abuse that will make the victim start to uh, not trust themselves. Uh, you know, they, they think maybe they're going crazy. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very manipulative behavior to, that the abuser uses to disorient them. And um, they may deny that an abusive incident ever happened. Uh, that certainly happened to me, which is a light bulb went off. Um, or, or they can claim something else happened when it, when it really didn't. So uh, you, you may begin to doubt your perception over time of what is actually real. So um, uh, well, I, and I, can, I agree. The, you know, the, the yeah. whole idea about marriage, uh, you know, we, we do a lot, and I've been doing a lot of litigation over the years, and what mm-hmm. I find about divorce work, divorce work when someone decides they're going to go to court and get a divorce and they're going to fight it, that uh, the, the concept of how do you do a divorce litigation, it's essentially standard litigation. You have to file a complaint and their answers and depositions and everything except there is such a strong and dominant emotional overlay in the process because we're we're just not talking about, uh, you know, buying something online and suing a manufacturer. We're talking about uh, an intimate partner who you once were really close to, and now if you're being gaslighted, uh, that's sort of another area going with 
with control that the person is taking control over you. And just one one brief story is that I recall being at a wedding, uh, and uh, we we noticed just how the groom was behaving toward the bride, and it just seemed so obvious. There's trouble there. They ultimately got uh, divorced, but the the husband was just dominant, inappropriate, and uh, it was clear to the outsider. So my question is that when people find themselves in an abusive situation and they just get married, if not necessarily the same day, but within the first year of marriage, they find out this isn't working. Uh, what, what should they do? Well, the first thing that they should do is try to get their partner to acknowledge that the behavior was inappropriate and, and seek uh, family counseling. Not every marriage needs to be ended. Um, I, I think if, if, if your partner uh, has made some mistakes and has abused you and is uh, genuinely sorry for the behavior and willing to change, mm -hmm. that may be possible with uh, counseling. Um, some abusers will apologize and then revert right back to the bad behavior. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Let's hold up right with that thought for now because we're going to take a short break. Um, we're talking to Rosemary Lombardi uh, who has a book concerning divorce and dealing with abusive situations. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these words uh, with Rosemary. So don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to another segment of The Advocate. This is Nick Phillips, and this is our final segment for the evening, and we're talking about marriages that uh, are terminated because of the abuse of one spouse over the other. And talking to us tonight about it is financial planner and uh, victim of an abusive relationship, uh, Rosemary Lombardi. Rosemary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, before we run out of time again, the time flies so quickly. Uh, you do have a book uh, on this subject, and um, it's called Breaking Bonds. Is that correct? Yes, Breaking Bonds, How to Divorce an Abuser and Heal. And it can be found on Amazon and, and uh, wherever books are sold. And as we were talking, uh, before the interview, we were talking about uh, some of the topics that you cover. So maybe you can run through just a bit of the topic so people get a flavor for uh, what, if they are interested in this topic, how they can go and find out more about it by looking at the book. Well, yeah. if, if you're married to an abuser, if it's at all possible to uh, prepare to leave ahead of time, um, that's one thing I cover and the different um, uh, steps that, that you should take if you're not being physically abused. If you are, you should leave immediately. Uh, and I also um, talk about divorce mistakes, how to avoid them, uh, therapy for stress and healing, uh, the divorce process itself, what to expect, uh, how to prepare for that, what to bring uh, to your attorney, how to act in court. Um, I also uh, talk about life after divorce uh, and um, 
how to take care of yourself not only during but after the divorce. Uh, forgiving uh, yourself and your abuser is the last chapter because the goal is to be independent and ha- happy. And the, the the main thrust of the book is I encourage women to take control of and responsibility for their own lives and their own ha- happiness. It's really it's really up to you and no one else to do that and to become as informed as you possibly can. So my book is a resource. My website, breakingbonds.com, is is another one that you can use. There are a lot of very good books on on divorce. I have recommended reading list on the the website. My perspective is a little different than a a lot of divorce books out there because I I am a financial advisor. I was going to ask about that. As well as a victim, so... Well, as a financial planner, when uh, we separate out and people get to the point of acceptance that they're going to be terminating the, the marriage, and mm-hmm. we get to the point of acceptance of that, and that should somehow put some uh, some control on the emotional elements of it, the intimate side of the marriage being terminated, uh, then we, mm-hmm. we get to look at and study the financial side, the business side of the relationship, an abused person what can they do to protect themselves to make sure that financially uh, they they get out of the marriage intact and, and fairly recover what they're supposed to recover? Well, um, you know, I, I, I think keeping detailed records and before you let your abuser know you're going to file for divorce, make copies of all the financial records that you can get your hands on. You're entitled to that information any anyway. Um, don't use the same attorney uh, as uh, or financial advisor as as your abuser does. Uh, one thing that I you know I think a, a lot of attorneys might not advise to do that 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 I think is essential is um, if you don't have any money in your own name uh, to to take um, some funds out of a joint account and put them in an account and just your own name because your abuser is likely to drain that bank account so that you have to give up the divorce or that you'll settle for um, a lot less than you're entitled to. Um, I had that happen to one of my clients who wasn't even married to an abuser and she had a, a couple of kids and had to wait until her next paycheck to be able to pay the bills. Of course, you can get your attorney to, 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 to file for uh, relief, but that takes time, and in the meantime, uh, you have to be able to pay bills. Uh, making sure that bills get paid during the divorce so it doesn't ruin your credit is extremely important. That's one mistake some people make. Another one is being unrealistic about what you can expect to receive in the divorce. So be sure and get input from your attorney on that. Well, it's so important to contact an attorney is as your feelings are developing to get some guidelines as far as you know how to uh, prepare for the uh, the ultimate termination of the marriage uh, for example as you're talking about accounts and so forth i know that uh, to to some degree it's standard practice that when a lawsuit is filed and you might have an abuser involved in a lot of bank accounts that one of the first things that's done is that a restraining order be placed on all the accounts and notify all the institutions not to let anybody have it's, anything. It's amazing how often that is not done. I mean, maybe maybe that happens in Ohio, but 
certainly not in not in Nashville, Tennessee. My goodness. Well, that's where uh, you know the money we had uh, in one case. I, there, I remember the number was seventy thousand dollars that was missing, and the explanation was I went to Las Vegas and I lost it gambling. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. That's. I've, a, I've had women. That's a reality. I, yeah, I've had women contact me, and and their spouses have drained, um, drained, but not only bank accounts but also investment accounts. And that's that's another thing I, I I tell women is to as soon as you file for a divorce to notify all of the financial institutions mm-hmm. in writing that you know there's a divorce proceeding going on and that no money is to be taken out of these accounts without joint permission or a court order. Um, the other thing is uh, a lot of spouses will try to cancel. Uh, insurance or 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 failed failed to pay it um, and I had that happen in my situation uh, mortgage payments may may not get made even though there you know there's a court order um, in Tennessee you you cannot start a business uh, during a divorce proceeding well I had to get a restraining order to stop my ex from a, uh, a very risky business that he started without my permission and refused to stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, you know, we talked earlier, I think you only briefly mentioned that after the holidays, uh, people start thinking about divorce. Why, why do you suppose that is? Well, I, I think for a lot of people, and it's very under, understandable, they, they want their children to have that one last good memory of a, a holiday with an intact family. Uh, so that's that's one reason why they wait until January to, to file. Um, another reason is that during the holidays, um, their partner may drink to excess or, or use other drugs, and the behavior gets a whole lot worse over the holidays. So right at the first of the year when most people are making the year's resolutions and looking back on the previous year and trying to figure out what they want for the future, uh, that's when they decide it's time. Uh, it's time to file. So January is a very active month for divorce oh filings. We, we have a little more than about a minute and a half, but uh, with children, you know, life is different when two parents are needed to raise children. When the children are older and out of the house and it's just the two combatants, I guess it's a different story. Uh, how, how much should uh, parents put up with, or, or a spouse who's being abused put up with the abuse, assuming it's not violent, which takes everything off scale here, uh, but someone who's just controlling and you have children, how much do you put up with for the sake of the children? You have one minute. <laughs> I, I I think that's a very individual decision. Uh, I decided to stay, which was wrong, because abuse tends to travel from one generation to the next. And children who are raised in an abusive home tend to either become an abuser or a victim themselves. And it doesn't have to be physical abuse. So it, there's a pattern, and the only person who can, can break the pattern really is the victim to change the, the dynamic and to teach their children that that behavior is not okay. I agree. Well, you know, I think the takeaway from, from your stories, from your book, and from your website is that if you find yourself in an unhappy 
abusive situation. There's a lot of places to go to get help to allow you to think think things out and figure out what's going on. But I'd like to, like to thank Rosemary Lombardi for joining us tonight, and uh, we'll uh, have to get you back on again. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, and thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company The preceding program...